We began with a concept. What is? Just a, a little word. One of uh, four little words that we're, we're talking about. The idea of absolute truth. Um, we followed that up with a look at the consequences of that. Well, if, if that has to be true, if there has to be something that is absolutely true, then there are going to be some consequences. The verdict of what if? What if that is true? Well, if that is true, then, then we're going to have a then. If and then go hand in hand together, we said. Last week we talked about the result of consequences, and that is choices. We're going to define this or that, right? And so or becomes an important word. We're going to look at the conclusion of this line of thought. One more small word, and it's a very important word. This word is one of the most important words we can learn. In fact, you learn it before you can even say it. You, you probably know this word. What word am I talking about? Uh, James chapter 5, verse 12 says, Above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you, are, uh, so that you may not fall under condemnation. One of the first words we learn is no, isn't it? <laughs> uh, we know it before you, your, little, your little, 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 little kid can probably do that before you can ever say, Mama or Dad, Benjamin. He's at college now, some, some of you are visiting, but, but my oldest son, his first word was doggy. <laughs> so, so mom and I knew where we rated, but, uh, but he knew the word no. He knew the word no. Uh, I was looking for a video I had. Uh, I, I know it's somewhere, I've seen it, but uh, when, when, when Benjamin was learning to crawl, most, there were things that moved up. Right? And kids learn to crawl and you move things up. Uh, to a higher shelf, things you can't replace. Because, uh, and then uh, and, uh, and then they start to learn to stand. And, and I remember, like his his hands, we could when he could barely reach the the counter, he would like anything that was three things get pushed back on the counter at least that far because this, he'd walk around the counters. Now as far as he could go, he's looking for something, anything. Right? Uh, and so we kind of we teach no because this is an important step in uh, in development. No is healthy to, to a, a child's development. But the, the video I, I mentioned wasn't, wasn't him on the counter. It was when he, could, when he was learning to crawl. I had a gun. Uh, I hadn't shot it in years, but it was sitting right there in the, in the living room. It leaned up next to a flag and whatnot. And we, Cam, we checked it like multiple times. It was not loaded. <laughs> and... Uh, but he would go over there. I have a video of him walking, crawling over. He liked that thing. I, I, I'm telling you, it, it just, just little boys know what those things are. It, it's like they were made for him, right? And it, he had no idea what it does, but he was made for that. And he crawled right over. That was his favorite spot to go, that and the stereo. I didn't move it up. I left it there. I left it there so I could teach him no. He learned the word no. Before he could say a word, he learned what no meant. You, well, almost touch, almost touch it. And then he'd look up at me and go like that. And he knew. No. We learn no. But it's important that we, uh, that we teach it correctly. 
this word no. We teach the word no. All kids know the word no. It's one of the first five words they can say, almost universally. But no can mean different things. It's not just important that you teach the word no. That we know the word no, that's good. But that we know the correct definition. What do you mean? How many definitions are of the word no? Well, let me give you a couple of definitions for the word no that are frequently taught. Some of these might sound familiar to you. If you uh, say the word no, and then you immediately give in, then no means yes. Your kid means no, but that means yes. Like, okay, he's taught the word, but it means a different thing. If, uh, you know what that means. <laughs> if you start counting, after you say the word no, then it means wait. No means wait. We're getting to the fractions soon. Mom's going to go to the fractions. Just wait. You'll win. Just wait. Sometimes no can mean something different. If you beg, right, then no means something different. You say, no, but you say it in a begging way, then no means, well, I can do it if I want it. If really, I control the situation because you're asking me. So no means something different than what no is supposed to mean. If, uh, if you say no, but then you give in when the situation kind of gets out of control, then you've taught your kid no means throw a fit and you'll get it. Right? There's a lot of different definitions for no. And you didn't think of that no meant a lot of things. There's more. I could have, I could have had a long list. No has a lot of things it can mean. So it's important for us to, this is not a child raising class, this is an introduction to, to us. And, and, and us and the relationship to the word no. As adults, or kids, if you're under, under 18, this is for you too. We're going to look at some important concepts that are attached to the word no. Yeah, I'm recording. Good job. First of all, it is an absolute identifier. And we're going to look at some different categories. We've talked about these categories already. So we're going to begin with the, with, with the concept of God. What do I mean by an absolute identifier? James chapter 1 says, in verse 16 and 17, it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of change or changing shadow whichever your version says we have an absolute we talked about this absolute truth is, is binary there is yes and there is no and, and he says here's a no for you I'm going to identify something about God and there's a lot of these by the way in the scriptures things and even in this text we, we find that, that God cannot tempt us there's an absolute no Hard no. God is absolute. He does not change. Well, what this means is that you can't outlast him. You can't out-protest him. 
right? With God, he teaches the right meaning of no. I cannot wait him. I can't throw a fit that he's going to give in. All right, well, we're in the candy store. People are looking at me. Well, let's talk about Christ. God is constant. What about Christ? Some of them wanted to arrest him. No one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said, why didn't you bring him? The officer says, no one ever spoke like this man. No one. He's above the rest. There is an absolute about Christ. He is absolutely correct. Absolute knowledge. Right or wrong. Yes and no. You will not find comparable truth anywhere in the world. And that's recognizable to people when they came to Christ. Uh, there's something different. Well, that's one aspect of Christ. We'll just look at one more. It's going to be relevant as we go through this. He says, greater love has no one. And someone lay down his life for his friends. He's obviously talking about Christ here. So we look at the compassion, the, the virtue that Jesus has is incomparable. There is no one in the history of the world that has shown what he has done. There are very compassionate people and there are very kind people and we meet them all the time. But no one has shown what Christ has shown. And so we're going through kind of the, 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 if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you, you recognize the pattern. We've talked about God and we've talked about Christ. So we've identified those things. We're going to man next. That's the wrong text. Let's, you just edit that in your own mind here. The topic of man, he says, all have turned aside, all together have become worthless. There is none who does good, not even one. Actually, I want to, I want to read the larger text here. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. This is, a, this is a really good text. Because that one verse doesn't do this justice. There's a lot of argument over what this text means. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3. And we're going we're gonna to begin in, this, in verse 10. We're going to go up through verse 18. He says, it's written, there's none righteous, no, not one. None who understands, there's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've all become un together unprofitable. There's none who does good, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. His mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they haven't known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. This is a pretty, pretty detailed list of how bad humanity is, isn't it? As a result of this text, some people, and some of your versions, of, as you're reading that, one of those verses says they have become worth, they're worthless. 
If you have that version, just understand that's a bad translation. Worth has to do with the intrinsic quality of something. And this, this word is not related to the intrinsic quality. The, the one I read talks about being profitable. It has to do with something's usefulness. It has to do with how it interacts with other things. Uh, so, so it's an important distinction to make. Uh, kind of a lot of our older songs talk about how much I'm a wretch and I'm this and I'm that. And they talk about our intrinsic quality. And God does not identify us that way. God talks about how we are a crea- how His creation. God has, that we are made in the image of God. That is important for us to remember that our intrinsic quality is one thing, but my usefulness because of my choices is another thing. And so, as a result of this misunderstanding, uh, there are religions which, which teach a, a doctrine called the total depravity of man. And this is almost, if we just read through it, it kind of looks, we are completely useless, and, and we never do anything right. That's that kind of the takeaway, that you read this really fast. And I want to I say that Calvin was incorrect, and there's a lot of scriptures, but, but this seems hard to rec, uh, reconcile with that, that idea, like, how can I say that we're not totally useless when this seems to be painting the picture that we are? I'll give you an illustration of how unworthy we are. And that's, I think, a better translation, a better idea. You might recognize that as the, the visible light spectrum. You're, you're familiar with that, right? The, that, that our energy and our universe. And I'm just going to use this because, it, to me, it paints a good picture of, of what he's trying to get at here. Energy moves through our universe at, at different wavelengths. It is just a small sliver of it that, that moves at the right way that you and I can see it. And we, we separate that into a, a little rainbow, and it's just, just, just ever so narrow. That's what you and I perceive. That's where, that's where you and I are, right? That little sliver. I wonder if in heaven, I just, this is just an aside, I've wondered in heaven if, if we had perfect vision or something, that we would be able to see everything, how incredible that's going to be. Because that, that would be amazing. Like, I, w- I, would, I would really like to see that. What have I missed? What colors have I missed? An infinity of colors that I have no idea ever existed. This is something to think about. But I want to go through and not talk about light. I want to talk about some of the things that we talk about with Christ. And, and look at this from two perspectives. First of all, intellect and morality. We talked about him being right, and, and we talked about him being compassionate. These two ideas of Christ that are absolute. And I want to look at the idea that we are totally incapable, not because we're way down at the end of the spectrum of, of existence. And very few people know absolutely nothing. I know you think you know people that know nothing. <laughs> but, but actually, if we could open up their brain and pull out everything that has collected, actually we know quite a lot. The, the, the English vocabulary alone. There's a massive amount of information. 
And more than half of your, I, I, I forget what the, I'm, I'm going to say, I, I should probably not say this because I know we have ch- early child development people in here and they're going to like, oh, you're so far off. But like, I, I think it's like by, by age five or four, you know half of your uh, adult vocabulary or some, some crazy thing like that. You, you learn massive amounts of information. I know that's way off, but you get the picture. You're just, your brain is exploding as a child. You, massive amounts. There's this, no one that knows nothing, in other words. We all exist in this little spectrum. And the same is true morally. I know there's really bad people, and that, this might be exceptions. You can find exceptions. But, but the majority of humans, the difference between the, 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 what you consider a bad person and what we consider a good person are really small. I mean, Genghis Khan comes up once every once in a while. You know, a guy who kills 40 million people. Those guys are pretty rare. But to look at you and I, where you and I are in this, in this little thing, from Christ's perspective, Christ is, it's not that I'm completely evil. It's not that I'm completely dumb, but from where Christ sits, from that standpoint, everyone has failed to achieve that. And we're not even close. And we think that we're good because we're up on the, we're up on the upper end of that spectrum. Oh, I'm so great. You don't know nothing. You don't do nothing good. Comparatively, to me, this is my standard. I don't care about your little spectrum down there. You have fun with that spectrum. I'm up here. I'm looking at, I've got a a vision that that takes in so much more. I see it all. I know it all. And so God identifies us. I want to talk about no from a different perspective, and that is from the perspective of limits. Humans need limits. Our laws are structured around the word no. They're supposed to be anyway. We don't have the law. We don't write law from the perspective of telling you all the things you can do. That's a dumb way to write law. We try to limit the things you can't do. Right? That's every law ever written. Every successful law. You're free so long as you live within the limits. I want to talk about four ways that absolute truth limits. We just went through Colossians, and these are all from Colossians 2. I say this in order that no one will delude you with plausible Arguments. I like this, this statement. The first thing it does is it prevents deception. No prevents deception here. And these are all based on information. I'm writing this so that no one will delude you with plausible arguments. Plausible arguments being, it could happen. Uh, a lot of people like to make these arguments. Well, it's... it's uh, Plausible. There's a 
10 billion in one chance that X could happen. That's plausible. And a lot of people structure their lives based on that little slim thread. He says, that's a delusion. That's a delusion. The second thing, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, See that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. There's a couple of things in here. The overall idea is that it prevents captivity. When, when deceit and various things come along, captivity is coming along. And, and it, there's four ways, even within this one verse, that it does that. People become slaves to philosophy. We talked about, uh, we talked about that in the message not too far back. The, the ideas, and, and we become slaves to a philosophy. So I won't re-preach that sermon. But I have an identity on, on one small niche idea that, that I'm really attached to, and, and I have to I have to do whatever that little philosophy says. Or in this in this passage, he also says uh, you become slaves to because of of deceit. If someone's lying to you, it's to get something. If you lie to yourself, it's to avoid something. Or, or some, something that is making you a slave to something else. Always. Deceit is always followed by captivity. Always. Oh, human tradition. We even have the phrase, I'm a slave to tradition. We have the phrase, tradition is there to enslave you. Why well, I have to do it. Why? Because I've always done it. We've always done it this way. Slave. And he says, according to the elemental spirits of the world. That's an old way of saying basic human nature. Whenever someone says nature, run for the hills. Because slavery is fallen. Our basic human nature, anything that goes along with it, tends to enslave you. Do what feels good, and you will find someone that's doing something that they no longer feel good about, but they have to do it. Basic human nature. Why can men be good hunters? Because animals live by nature by instinct, and we know what they're going to do, and, and we're pretty good. If you're get good at studying nature, you can trap them. You can enslave them. You can get whatever it is you're after. That's just the way nature is. It enslaves us. So, so absolute truth limits captivity. Next one, Colossians 2.16. He says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink and with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. And this is a part of a larger text. I understand is taking little excerpts of it. But the idea is that within the limits, remember what we said, that there's things that are excluded, but within the limits, 
We are free to express our relationship and devotion to God our way. Some people get uncomfortable with that idea. God did not tell me everything I have to do. And he didn't say you have to do it this way. And then you have to do this, and then you have to do that, and then you have to do this, and then you have to do that. He said these are the limits. And within these limits, you're fine. And so, it prevents judgment. God put limits and put absolute truth there for us to figure out and not judge one another. That goes two ways. And he defines them in this passage. If you express your devotion to God in a particular way, it is not for someone to say, you can't. On the other hand, if you participate in something and another person says, I don't feel comfortable with that, it is not for you to say, you have to. I cannot compel you to express your faith my way, within the limits. Both of those are important. It prevents judgment. And the last one, he says, let no one defraud you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels and going on about visions puffed up without reason by his physical or his sensuous mind. The last thing it does is it prevents fraud. Limits and absolute truth, they prevent fraud. What do you mean? We have active imaginations. That's why there's hundreds of religions. We, we read a thing and we develop an opinion. I expressed an interesting thing. It just barely popped into my head at the beginning of this. Wouldn't that be neat if... And there are people... There are people that is neat. Let's have a new doctrine. Let's have a new religion. That would just... Off of an imagination. And we do that at the drop of a hat. We develop new ideas. And, and that's wonderful when people are inventing things. Those come from, in, from imagination and all that. <clears throat> but it doesn't mix with Christianity when we're talking about what God has given us. Imagination and doctrine do not mix. That is one combustible mixture. And we come to conclusions about things that we can't possibly know. And then we teach those with authority. As though they're absolutes. And then the end is to rob people of their reward. That's what this means here. He says, let no one defraud you. It means to steal your reward. So I want to talk about one more concept of the word no. And that is self-denial. We're going to go through this pretty quick. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. Give no opportunity to the devil. Some say give no place. 
Limits exist for our benefit. That is the importance of them. Any opportunity can and will be used against you by Satan. Any opportunity. He'll come in the side door, the window. He'll get in any way he can. Give no opportunity to the devil. Limits are there for your protection. In Matthew 16:24, Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, this doesn't contain the word no, but it contains the idea. This is where we wanted to get to. If he will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is the concept. This is where we were at the beginning. All really wraps up. Why do we teach the kid no? Why do we teach the correct definition of no? Because there's coming a time where I cannot say no for him anymore. I can no longer say no. Well, I can say it, but... And so he better know the right meaning. Or she. They better know how to exercise it themselves. Because there's coming a time where only they can say no. Mom and dad can't take the thing away. Mom and dad can't move it up higher to a higher shelf. There's no, <laughs> they can get up there. That's why no is important. No to self. And that is hard. Because I know as an adult, no one's saying no for me. Oh, I mean, yes, there's a threat. You say no. Some things the government's going to say, you're in jail. <laughs> no. I'm taking it away. But that really in the moment doesn't help me. Because that's, you know, I won't get caught or whatever. That'll never happen to me. But having that reliance on, on what God said, these are the limits, regardless of the consequences, regardless of all these other things that might or might not happen, I said no. And it's up to me to make that determination to comply with that requirement, with that limit. Read the sign. It's there for a reason. Right? It won't happen to me. Absolute truth takes us on a journey. That journey has a predetermined itinerary. And that's what we've talked about. We, we mentioned in our introduction, we are going to pass through choices, and we're going to go through consequences, and we're going to reach an ultimatum. Once I allow that there is absolute truth in this universe, once I allow for that, strap it, because we have to get to a point. That train is going through all those stations. 
And at least at one of those points, you're going to hesitate and want to get off. Maybe more. Somewhere along there, we as humans want to get off that train. Nope. This is the train. I don't like the implications of this. I don't want to make this choice. I don't want to feel these consequences. I want to pretend that they don't exist. I don't like limits. I don't like coloring in the lines. I want to be my own person. I want to have my own truth. Doesn't work that way. The choice for my life, for my health, for my relationships, for all of these other things is simply one word, and that's yield. And that's that's the what I hope that you leave here with. For me to recognize what God has put in place, to understand it's not because of any other reason than for my benefit that he asked me to yield.